Welcome to Code WAC, your podcast on America's broken healthcare system and how Medicare for All could help. I'm your host, Brenda Gazar. So what in the world are direct contracting entities and how might they affect the healthcare of American seniors? Will this pilot program ultimately help or hinder quality care? Dr. Ed Weisbart, a retired family physician, former chief medical officer of Express Scripts, and a national board member of Physicians for a National Health Program, weighs in on this troubling development. Welcome to Code WEC, Dr. Weisbart. There's a so-called innovation to traditional Medicare being introduced, a pilot program called Direct Contracting Entities, or DCEs. That sure doesn't sound anything like healthcare. Can you tell us what a direct contracting entity is and why we should care about this? As a recent article in Health Affairs blog said, this is Orwellian in the way it's titled. So if, if you find that this new phrase, direct contracting entity, is confusing to you, it's the craziest way to call it. Because if you remember from the previous episode, traditional Medicare is very direct, right? Medicare has a direct relationship with doctors, so that sounds like a direct contracting relationship. But that's not at all what this means. This new name, direct contracting entities, is a program that was begun under the Trump administration overtly to introduce the private industry, private industry, uh, venture capital and private equity and for-profit insurance, to to introduce them into the 60% of Medicare that they don't have access to today. So most Medicare members have said, I don't want the commercial industry. I don't want a for-profit middle person, intermediary. I just want Medicare. Most, 60% have said that. And so industry has said, well, you know, we want some of that game. We want a part of that pie. And so they persuaded the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation to start this. It's still a pilot program where much as in Medicare Advantage or is in accountable care organizations or in a few other programs, Medicare would no longer pay doctors and hospitals. If you're in a direct contracting entity, Medicare would no longer pay your doctor and hospital for the most part. Instead, they would pay these new for-profit venture capital, private equity or insurance company or publicly traded companies. All of your money for healthcare would go there and then they would be in charge of doling out the payments to doctors and hospitals and such. It's a little bit more nuanced than that. Uh, There are some variations to this, but in general, direct contracting entities in direct opposition to the way the name sounds creates a new level of fiscal intermediaries, a new at-risk group whose interest is in you not getting care, not in you getting care. It's a dreadful concept. It's a, it's a dreadful concept. It's something that it's still in the pilot phases right now. So we can stop it before it gets crazy out of control. And we need to stop this new initiative, direct contracting entities. I see. So what does it mean for someone who's in a DCE? If you're in one, you still retain all of your traditional Medicare benefits. A direct contract entity can't tell you, no, you can't go to that doctor or no, you can't go to that hospital, at least on paper. But we know that their game will be to nudge you, to guide you. Nobody's really responsible for making sure that you know you have all those choices. You might get a letter once telling you you have that, but the direct contracting entity is not going to want to emphasize that. So they're going to be guiding you to fewer choices, fewer hospitals and getting in the way of healthcare. Mm. So it's basically creating a middleman. That's exactly right. That takes a cut of the money that should be going directly to the providers. And venture capital, Wall Street, private equity, they know this. They've looked at this model and some folks call it the Medicare gold rush now. You know, having this incredible rush 
of money coming into new startup industries and ventures to take advantage of this new entity called um, direct contracting entities. Wall Street wouldn't be investing so incredibly heavily, so incredibly quickly as they are right now, if there weren't a way for them to make a ton of money off of this. And where does that money come from? <laughs> you know, they're investing in it because they know that there's still money left in the Medicare trust fund that they can drain. They think that they can get the premiums to go higher for Part B. I don't know what they're really thinking, but they're not investing this money because they're out to improve public health. So we're all going to pay for this. We have to stop it before it's gotten out of control. Mm. So Dr. Weisbart, to clarify, the DCEs then do operate with a capitation system? Yes, the direct contract entities themselves are capitated uh, for your care by the federal government. That's the concept. The direct contracting entities receive varying degrees and varying scopes of capitation for your health care, a monthly fee or an annual fee to cover your some or all of your health care expenses. So it's exactly what you said. The direct contracting entity gets the money in, and then every dollar that they have to pay out on health care, frankly, is a dollar away from their bottom line, from their profits, or from their return on invested capital to Wall Street. Every dollar that they pay, that they have to pay out, comes out of their capitation. And so they have a compelling business interest to maximize those capitations by gaming the system and to minimize how much they pay out by either directly or indirectly interfering with your care. They can't completely say, no, you can't go for that care. They can't do that, but they can really kind of make it seem like they can. Um, so when doctors get a set amount per patient, healthier patients cost them less to treat than unhealthy patients. Doesn't this incentivize doctors to avoid taking on sick patients? Yeah, you know, the, the other side of that equation is one of the key reasons I went to medical school. I thought the idea that if you capitate physicians, if you pay doctors a certain amount per month to take care of people in general, that would mean that it's to my advantage to keep you healthy. If I can keep you healthy, well, then you're going to cost less and I'll be able to make more money. If I did something stupid to you that was you know, expensive or harmful, that you would then become more expensive to take care of and I would be partially paying for that. So I thought capitation was a, was a brilliant idea. What I didn't know and what I know now <laughs> is that the way to make money under capitation is not by making people healthier. Healthcare prevention takes a decade to pay off. Really good preventive medicine takes a decade to pay off. And then it's not a business case for prevention. We should do it, but it's not a big moneymaker. The way to make money under capitation is to not have sick people in your practice. That's the way to make money. So I think you're right. Capitation rewards you for not having sick people and it you know there's ways to modify and adjust it but it's so it's a game of whack-a-mole there you know you're always staying a step ahead of that so there is no good way to pay doctors and so you know because no matter what you do you're going to have some kind of an issue the most important thing to do i think is to remove the perverse incentives stop having it so that we doctors can make more money by shunning the sick you know you want to put us in that situation and stop putting it so that we doctors can make more money by doing unnecessary expensive things you want to get rid of those kind of perverse incentives how then do you think that's affecting patients? I said I went to medical school because I believed in this model of capitation one form or another. So I used to live and practice within the largely capitated system. And I was in charge of uh, about, a, I think there were 10 at the time, medical offices scattered around Chicago. And we had one in particular that was, like all the others, largely capitated. And it was a terrific place. They did great care. They were top of the charts on patient satisfaction and on mammograms and all that stuff. They were profitable. I thought, hooray, that proves the case. And then they got one patient in with a very expensive form of hemophilia. And it was going to cost a million dollars a year 
actually it did cost a million dollars a year to treat this one person. And so, of course, so, you know, we, you pay that. You know, we had to figure out ways to come up with the money for it because it's a lot of money, uh, but we did. But I was in charge of the group, right? So there was a business imperative on me to make him not like us. We didn't do any of these things, but I was thinking about, you know, let's not answer the phone if we know it's him. Let's put him on hold. You know, if he comes in for his visit, let's make him wait an hour or two. We didn't ever do that, but let's lose his chart a little bit. You know, let's not call him with those test results. Playing that through, the intent would be that after six months or so, he would say, you know, that used to be a great office, you know, but, you know, I don't know what's happened to them, but it's gone, you know, downhill. I'm going to find me a new doctor. And maybe he'd call and threaten and tell us, you know, how terrible things were and that he's going to go get a new doctor. And I'd say, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, we didn't do any of those things. And, you know, but I am still atoning for the fact that I thought all that through because that was the business pressure was to make a sick person not want to go to, to our doctors. <laughs> right. And what do you think is at stake then for patients? For patients, it's as Dixon from PNHP recently said, nobody, literally nobody is asking for the system to get more complicated. Nobody is saying, you know, if we were just a little bit more complicated, that would fix things. Nobody is saying that. But that's what this will do. So you won't be able to follow the money, right? Who's it going to? Is it, you won't be able to track where your money's going. Uh, you're going to have somebody in the middle of your care with direct contracting entities who will say that they're your advocate and ally trying to help you through the system. But in reality, the business pressure on them, their motivation is not quite the same as, as what, you know, your physician in the exam room uh, usually is. So, you know, from a patient point of view, I think it's a whole new exposure to a whole new level of complexity that's going to drive up the cost of your care with no reason to think it's going to improve quality. All sorts of analyses that say there's no reason to think that. It's not going to make healthcare better. It's going to make healthcare more expensive and more profitable for the foxes that are raiding the chicken coop. And how do you think this, the DCEs and the pilot program, if it moves forward, would affect the Medicare for All movement? It really complicates it. When the movement was really first kind of growing with that name, there was a movement to not call it Medicare for All, but to call it single payer, because structurally that's what it is. It is one payer, you know, just have one payer, you know, get rid of all these insurance companies and just have one payer, let it be Medicare, have one payer, single payer. It really simplifies things. So that was the, there was a movement to have it just be called the single payer uh, movement. And that group lost out to the group that says, no, nobody knows what a payer is. Nobody knows what single payer is. Everybody knows and loves Medicare. Medicare is pretty simple. Let's kind of go straight with that. So let's make it Medicare for all. Fits on the bumper sticker better. It's nice. Well, the world has changed a lot and the Medicare program is under such direct attack. The Medicare Advantage now with all these denials and, re and referrals and prior authorizations and networks. Well, most people don't really understand when, when they have Medicare Advantage that they really don't even have Medicare. So the more we let traditional Medicare get corroded by things like Medicare Advantage or direct contracting entities, the more we corrode Medicare itself, the harder it is to say, you know, let's get Medicare for all. We've always said improved Medicare, right? It's always been improved Medicare. I myself have often run into people who says, why would I want Medicare for all? You know the problems I've had? And they're almost always problems with Medicare Advantage. And so we've had to have the discussion of that's not Medicare. And once they understand that, then they're much more happy with the idea. Oh yeah, get rid of all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so confound that by having a third stream in here, having, having people, having people in Medicare Advantage, having people in direct contracting entities, and then an even smaller group that's holding on to that precious, you know, for dear life, Medicare, traditional Medicare, it makes our message so much more complicated. Now there's two things to say. No, that's not what we mean about. Yeah, we can go back to the language of single payer. You know, we can emphasize the, you know, the improved Medicare for all, but it makes our job more complicated. And it puts us on the defense, right? Because now we're talking 
talking about how do we protect uh, Medicare. But I would say that you know every every problem is potentially an opportunity. It's giving us a chance to get people to really try to understand what Medicare Advantage is and isn't. You know, we should stop advantaging advantage. We should um, you know not let DCE enter this new space. So it's giving us an opportunity, I think, to reinform and educate people and point out the absurd complexity and point out the gold rush coming in to take our money away. I think there's a whole new suite of organizing tools that we can develop because of these outrageous new attacks. So I, I, I think it's potentially galvanizing us. Thank you, Dr. Weisbart. Was there anything we didn't touch on or anything else you wanted to mention? If somebody's really wonky and wants to read more, there's uh, two great new pieces uh, in, uh, in the October 1st week of uh, the Health Affairs blog uh, on this. I think if you just go to Health Affairs blog and look up direct contracting entities, you'll find two really terrific pieces uh, from uh, Rick Gilfillan and Don Berwick. So read those. They're dense, but they're really important. Um, so join us. Go to pnhp.org. Join us, even if you're not a doctor. Thank you, Dr. Ed Weisbart. Find more Code Whack episodes on ProgressiveVoices.com and on the PV app. You can also subscribe to Code Whack wherever you find your podcasts. This podcast is powered by Heal California, uplifting the voices of those fighting for healthcare reform around the country. I'm Brenda Gazar.